0: If I'd ask you right now what your anxiety level is on a scale of 1 to 10, you'd probably answer about a 15. I think we all are in that same situation together in these unprecedented times in which we find ourselves. Our anxiety levels are up and our fear levels are up, just the uncertainty about what's going to happen tomorrow or even the rest of today. And in moments like this, we really need a word from the Lord. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack the book of Philippians and look at some verses that Paul wrote to encourage us for times just like this, when we're feeling a little anxious and we're feeling a little fearful. And it's important to know the difference between anxiety and fear. Anxiety deals in the realm of what-ifs. What if I get sick? What if my kids get sick? What if I lose my job? What if I can't afford my kids' braces after all the things that are happening in the economy? And so anxiety deals in the realm of what-ifs. But fear deals with a different realm that deals with the realm of what is. Anxiety and fear are cousins, but they're not twins. Fear sees a threat, but anxiety imagines a threat. Fear screams get out, but anxiety ponders what if. Fear results in flight or fight, but anxiety creates doom and gloom. Fear gets your heart starting to beat when you see a coiled snake in the yard. But anxiety says never, ever, ever go barefoot in the grass again because there could be a snake in the grass. Fear has a couple elements that we need to understand that separates it from anxiety. And in order to have a proper solution, we need to have a proper diagnosis. And so the two elements that fear needs to have is it needs to be imminent and it also needs to be potent. Imminent just means nearness. In other words, the object that I'm fearing, or the thing that I am fearing, is near. But not only is it near, but it must have the potency or the power to cause me harm. There's a difference between a ladybug landing on my desk and a scorpion crawling on my desk. The ladybug and the scorpion are both imminent, but their potential or their potency to cause me harm are completely different. And so I don't need to fear the ladybug but I do fear the scorpion. If a scorpion is on my desk, it has the potency to harm me, and it also is near and has the ability to harm me. It's totally different if I'm reading about scorpions on my computer that's sitting on my desk, because I can read about the scorpion's potency on the computer, but obviously there isn't a scorpion around to cause me harm, so there is no reason or no need to fear at that point. We also need to understand the learned aspects of fear. Oftentimes, our parents' reaction to fear or our families of origins have taught us to be afraid of things and have uh, conditioned our responses to events. And so if you grew up in a very fearful household, you may find yourself more fearful than someone who didn't grow up in a fearful household. There is a difference between a young child who's in the grass and sees a harmless garden snake and picks it up and starts to play with it and all of a sudden mom comes rushing out of nowhere screaming to get away from the snake. The child has learned and has been modeled to fear something that really had been, did not have the potential to harm them in the first place. Another adult who knows that the snake is harmless, it's just a mere garden snake, can pick it up and have no problem at all. Someone said total ignorance is dangerous. Partial knowledge can be paralyzing But complete knowledge liberates. Think about the snake in the yard again. The child doesn't know the difference between a poisonous and a non-poisonous snake, and that ignorance can be dangerous. But partial knowledge can be paralyzing. If I'm not sure what kind of snake it is, I'm really not going to try to get rid of it or go near it, so I'm not sure if it's dangerous or not. So partial knowledge just leaves me in a state of paralysis. But complete knowledge liberates. And once I know the snake is not dangerous, it's just a simple garden snake, it can liberate me as much as my ability is to deal with the situation. Someone once said this, anxiety is like fear, but without inadequate cause. And so today in our world where we are in this pandemic and we have all kinds of things of uncertainty going on around us, we have to distinguish between, is it anxiety or is it Fear. Anxiety is like fear, but it doesn't have an adequate cause. And so in your own life, distinguish between, am I feeling anxious or am I fearful? Yes, we know there's a virus. Yes, we know that the virus is contagious. And yes, we know that the virus could potentially result in some very serious complications. And so sometimes in situations like this, fear and anxiety are mixed together. There's the what ifs we know there's the thing there, but we are uncertain about how it's going to affect me or the people that I love or the people that are around me. And so we can have the element of fear that there is a cause, but we still have this anxiety of what if? What if I get sick? Or what if someone in my family gets sick? In the New Testament, the word for anxiety occurs about 25 times. And sometimes it has a positive sense of caring. For instance, In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. So the word for concern is that same word that's translated anxiety. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 uses that word in a different sense. In other words, the unmarried man has concern. He is being responsible or he's looking after the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. Those are good things. And in our lives, we know there's a fine line between being concerned for something and being consumed by something. In this pandemic, we can be concerned for our family, we can be concerned for our health, but there's a fine line from concern for to being consumed by. And then once we are consumed by, then we start to be weighed down by worry and fear and anxiety. Paul wants to remind us in the book of Philippians, that we can have some hope in these times to have careful thoughts about something or to have consuming thoughts. When you worry, which do you worry about? What might happen or what might not happen? Whichever, turn it around and that will relieve our anxiety. There's a common advice in Scotland for worriers, the Scots have a proverb, what may be May not be. We often think the worst, and we often think the most uh, catastrophic consequences are going to happen. And so we are consumed about what may be. We all also have to remind ourselves, it may not be either. And anxiety is that thing that gets us going back and forth between those. Did you know that people are deemed mentally healthy if they are relatively free from anxiety? We all have anxiety and there's some anxiety that's not bad and it's actually kind of healthy. if I have a big exam tomorrow, of course I'm going to be anxious I'm going to be uh, anxious enough to and the solution is to study or if I have a teenager who's two hours late getting home I, I have a right to be anxious there's a there's a, a, a healthy anxiety that I have, but the solution to that is to pray and so we have this tension between good anxiety and uh, that helps us motivate mot- motivates us to study or to pray, but also this consuming anxiety. And then sometimes that leads us to just feeling blah. It leads us to feel like the world is closing in on us. You know, the word anxious defines itself. The word angst or uh, uneasiness uh, is part of that word anxious. It has this sense of unease, but also the end of that word is shush. Anxious. Anxious. What is that? It's a breath. And isn't that what anxious is? Anxious. It's that overwhelming thing where sometimes we can't get our breath or we just feel this heaviness on our chest. We feel this weight on our lives. There was a man talking to a native Hawaiian and the native Hawaiian said that the islanders have a name for those non-natives, and the name they give to the non-natives is Ahole, and the word means no breath. And he asked them why they give this name to the non-islanders. The native Hawaiian said this: that when people started coming in the 1820s, the immigrants to Hawaii and they started building their ranches and the harbors. He said, our forefathers used this word to describe the people that were in such a hurry to build because they seemed short of breath. And in our lives, anxious, leaves us short of breath. It takes away our breath. It can also take away our sleep. It can also take away our health. Uh, the uh, Bible says this in Psalm 37, 8, Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Do not fret it leads only to harm fret can lead to harm it can harm our, our bodies we have that tension in our foreheads our necks are, are, are hurting our um, backs ache we have high blood pressure uh, we can't sleep we have um, short tempers and we have sweaty palms and low patience and we know that fretting and anxiety can lead to harm in our in our lives. If you read a medical textbook, there is a majority of ailments that are attributed to anxiety. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. Now, all these reports were done prior to the coronavirus pandemic that we find ourselves in. So this, is, this was the state of people before we were in the situation that we're in. In a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of panic attack, phobias, or other anxiety disorders. Now, that number is probably more like 350 million. We all have those moments where we're a little nervous, we're a little scared, we're a little anxious. It says our chest will tighten, we'll feel dizzy and lightheaded, we'll feel fear crowds and avoid people. Of course, now we have to do that uh, because of social distancing. But in normal times, people with anxiety just don't want to be around other people. The number one mental health problem among women is anxiety, and it's the number two mental health problem among men, followed only by drug and alcohol addiction. Prior, the United States was the most anxious country in the world. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our use- usage of sedative drugs keeps skyrocketing. Between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium. It went from 900 million on these drugs to 2.1 billion. The exponential increase, the Journal of the American Medical Association, attributes it to an increase in depression. They said people in each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people of the preceding generations. In other words, as the generations go on, we are becoming more and more anxious Now we're in these moments of these anxious times. We were anxious people before this. Psychologist Robert Leahy points out, the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. So children today, again, this was pre-coronavirus pandemic, had the same levels of anxiety as the psychiatric patients in the 1950s. So you have to ask yourself, why are we so tense? There's a couple factors that contribute to our anxiety levels in our modern world, or in the in the two, uh, 2020 that we live in now. Number one is technology. Changes and new threats and catastrophes are in our uh, reach instantaneously. Every few seconds on our smartphones as they update, on our TVs, in our com- uh, our computer screens, in a matter of a few. Minutes we can hear about the latest tragedy halfway around the world. And we've barely processed one crisis until we're on to the next crisis. Years ago, to get the news, you had to tune in for half an hour each evening, and they gave you the rundown of the day's events. Today we have that rundown as often as our Twitter feeds update and our Facebook feeds update, and we move from one to the next. And technology has certainly increased the anxiety over the coronavirus pandemic we find ourselves in. We barrage ourselves with 24-hour, seven-day-a-week cable news. Our phones are always on, and we, we can never get away from it. We're also tense because of just speed. We move faster than ever before. In previous generations, when the sun went down, people turned their brains off. Now when the sun goes down, we open up our laptops, and we open up our phones and our computers, and we turn on the news, and we go to sleep and with all the accounts of the days, uh, tragedies, and events fresh on our mind. There's also personal challenges that we face that contribute to our anxiety levels. People we know are unemployed, people we know maybe facing foreclosure, people we know that maybe are sick or perhaps have cancer or struggling with a divorce or struggling with addiction. So even our personal challenges seem to be more today than they were before. We just simply know more people who have major life issues going on. A fourth reason that we're more anxious is just aging. As time goes on, we get older, and as aging happens, we become more anxious, and we become more, um, perhaps, concerned about the future. Our bodies don't work like they used to, and we have things that are happening. We just know that's how it works with us being human beings. And for all those reasons, we tend to be more anxious today than we were before. And Christians are not exempt from worry. We just simply aren't. We have been taught... That the Christian life is a life of peace, and a life of faith, and a life of trust. And if we have all those things, we are never going to be anxious. And if we're anxious, we assume then the problem is with us. So Christians have been given this burden, almost, that if you're feeling anxious, somehow you don't have enough faith, or somehow you don't have enough trust. So not only do we feel anxious, but because of the message that we have received, that you as a believer should never have any anxiety Now we have guilt because we're feeling anxious. So not only am I anxious, but I'm guilty for feeling anxious, which makes me anxious about feeling guilty, and it's a self-defeating cycle that we can never get out of. It's just this downward spiral of worry and guilt and worry and guilt. And it makes us wonder if the Apostle Paul was out of touch when he said this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything. He says about anything. It it, it would have been better if he said only be anxious about a few things or only be anxious about the big things or only be anxious in the morning, but the rest of the day be carefree. But he says don't be anxious about anything. doesn't have a lot of loopholes. And Paul wrote this in the present tense. In other words, it's an ongoing action. It's not something we do once and then just get over. But do not be anxious about anything is a constant daily thing that we do To manage and handle our anxiety, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. We have our anxieties, we have our fears, and as healthy believers, one of the things that we need to do is just acknowledge that we are anxious. Don't pretend that we're not. I don't have to feel guilty for feeling anxious. But to be imprisoned by my anxiety is one thing, and that's what Paul wants to help us with. Anxiety is not a sin, it's an emotion. So don't be anxious about your anxious feelings. If you're feeling anxious about this crazy world we're in right now, don't be anxious about being anxious. But we have a proper response that the scripture will give us about our anxiety. Anxiety, however, can lead to sinful behaviors. Now, I don't have to be anxious about my emotion, but I should be concerned that my anxiety does not lead to sinful behaviors. Remember, the psalmist says, don't fret because it can cause harm. And so we numb our fears and we numb our anxieties in healthy ways, or we can numb them in self-destructive ways. I can numb my fears with six-packs and food binges. I can spew out my anger. I can peddle my fears to anyone who will listen I can mindlessly binge-watch. Have you noticed that during this pandemic, there's a lot of free TV and uh, free shows to watch, and people are encouraging you to just kind of binge-watch and sit mindlessly through hours and hours? What I'm doing in those moments, if I'm not careful, is I'm numbing my anxiety. I'm trying to deal with my anxiety. But once the binge is over, the anxiety is still there. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. We have to be careful, he says, because our hearts can be weighed down by things. And one of those things is the anxieties of life. Jesus didn't say that life would not be anxious, but what he said is, if we're not careful, we can be weighed down. Perhaps you're feeling weighed down. Perhaps you just have this load of worry and load of fear and load of anxiety, of all that's going on around us. Our hearts can be weighed down by worry. There's a few signals that we can pick up on that will let us know that we're being weighed down. Are you laughing less than you once did? Do you see problems everywhere? Would those that know you the best describe you as becoming increasingly negative or critical? Do you assume that something bad is going to happen? As human beings, we have this um, danger of catastrophic thinking that we always think the worst thing is going to happen. We go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I'm concerned about something, and we automatically go to, I'm dying from cancer. Catastrophic thinking. And in moments like this, we have to be very careful not to succumb to catastrophic thinking that the worst thing is going to happen? Would many days you'd rather stay in bed than just get up? Do you magnify the negative and dismiss the positive? The news works on negative news. We don't necessarily tune in for good things, although now with this pandemic, there are lots of folks who are posting some very good and fun things, and those fill up our hearts, and those encourage us. But I also can find positive things and some very negative things. Here's a scripture that's going to be our our new friend as we walk through this anxiety moment. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. Paul writes this, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such thing. We're going to break down those verses over the next few weeks using the acrostic calm. Could you use some calm in your life? When we think of anxiety, doesn't the antidote seem to be calm? The anxiousness, that place I can't catch my breath and my heart is racing and we just need some calm. The, is, the Bible is uh, the uh, Kindle's most highlighted book. And Philippians 4, 4-6 is the most highlighted passage in the most highlighted book. It seems like everybody is looking for some calm. Well, how can we find it? When we find it, the promise is this, that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus Remember, Jesus warned us that our hearts can be weighed down with the anxieties of life. And so we need this, this guard around our hearts and we need this guard around our minds. And calm is going to help us to do that. Here's what Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter four. The C is celebrate God's goodness. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. We're gonna look at what it means to celebrate God's goodness. A is ask for God's help. Present your requests to God in verse 6. The L in calm is leave your concerns with him. He says, with thanksgiving, and also to meditate on good things. Verse 8, we dwell on those things. And what happens is, as we focus our minds and, and, and have our hearts calm down, we will find this peace that transcends all understanding. People will look at us and say, I don't know how you can be so calm. And we say, I don't understand it either but I'm trusting the Lord. And I'm anxious at moments, but I always come back to this place where I trust his word and I trust who he is. It requires some work on our part, though. I can't say, Lord, you do it all for me. Remember, it's our thinking, it's our dwelling, it's our asking, it's our trusting. It's those things that we do. A fishing boat sank in rough, cold waters off of Vancouver Island, And it left two men in the lifeboat tied to the sinking ship by a nylon rope. Neither of the men in the lifeboat had a knife in order to cut the rope. And if the ship sunk, it would have pulled the lifeboat down with it. And so for an hour, the men alternated chewing on the nylon rope. And minutes before the ship sank, The men finally chewed through the rope and were set free and were not pulled down with the sinking ship. Here's what God's asking us to do. God is asking us to keep chewing at the rope. Yes, I'm tethered to anxiety. Yes, I'm tethered to these moments that feel like they're going to pull me down. And all God's asking us to do is you just keep chewing and you keep chewing and you keep chewing. And one of these days you'll be free from that. Takes a little bit of work. But my promises I will never fail, and I'll keep my word to you. God doesn't want us to live a life of perpetual anxiety. He doesn't want us to wake up every day and face the day with just a sense of dread. He can do something in our lives, and he wants to do something in our lives. And we just keep chewing, and we and fill our minds with God's word, and we activate those principles of his word in our lives. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, Jesus addresses this issue of worry. And what he does is he redirects our focus. Oftentimes, when we focus on our treasure and we focus on who we trust, we are anxious. And in these moments, we can focus on our treasure and it leaves us very anxious. We think about our jobs and we think about our futures and we think about our 401ks and we think about the economy. We also focus on who we trust, the medical experts and those making decisions. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, wants to challenge us in those places. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, he says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness! No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Jesus is challenging us in that place where he says, therefore, do not worry. And right before that, he said, we tend to be worrisome when we trust something else besides God. We tend to be worrisome when we trust our possessions and our treasures besides God. That's why he says you can't serve two masters, because who you trust, who you love, where you put your priorities, where you find your your security, is where your heart's going to be. And if our hearts and our trust are in anything besides God we're going to find that we are anxious. He says the eyes are the lamp of the body. The ancients view the eyes as the window through which light entered the body. And if the eyes were in good condition, the whole body would receive the benefit that the light brings. But if the eyes were bad, the whole body would be plunged into darkness. This brings a sense of anxiety or a sense of dis-ease in our lives. And the clear eye is one with single vision. I see clearly who I trust. I see clearly who is providing for me. I can see clearly the answer to my anxiety. That's why Jesus said we can't serve two masters. And isn't it true we find ourselves anxious and we find ourselves fearful when we're trying to trust God and something else? We want to we trust God in our bank account. We want to we trust God and in our health. We want to trust God and, and, and whatever else that it is. And so we find ourselves in those moments and in those places. And Jesus says, you can't serve both. And so if our hearts are weighed down with anxiety, it could be that we are trusting in other things besides Jesus. Jesus says, I want you to trust me. He says, I want you to have faith in me. And if you think about it, worry is faith in the negative faith is trusting in Jesus. But the opposite of trusting in Jesus is not trusting in him, but trusting in something else, which is why in Matthew chapter 6, he gives these comparisons between trusting in the stuff of this world and the things of this world or trusting in him. And so really that's what worry is. Faith is trusting in Jesus. Worry is trusting in everything else. And do you know why that doesn't work? Because everything else is temporary. Everything else is going to be gone. That's why Jesus said that rust will destroy it, that moss will eat it up, that that vermin will destroy it, a thief will steal it. Jesus is saying all that stuff, if we are trusting that, will bring anxiety because it is susceptible to rot and decay and to loss. But he said, trust me. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When I trust him, What it does is it lowers my anxiety. It lowers my fear because I know that He is the one ultimately that I can trust. Did you know that a dense fog can cover a seven-city block area 100 feet deep? And that entire amount of fog is less than one cup of water. That one cup of water is divided into 60,000 million drops. There's not much there, but it can cripple an entire city. It can ground airplanes. It can cause traffic nightmares. It can do all kinds of things, but the water vapor that makes up that fog is very minimal. Isn't that anxiety? Anxiety is we are in this dense fog, and it seems like we can't navigate And it seems like we are losing our way. And it seems like it is just crippling. But when you put all of that anxiety together, it equals about one cup of water. And so in that fog of anxiety, and in that that dense fog of uncertainty, I can trust Jesus because even though it looks crippling, even though it looks overwhelming, it may even feel overwhelming. God is always much bigger than that. God is always bigger than that one cup of water that's spread out into this dense fog. So perhaps you find yourself crippled or, or debilitated or not even being able to see because of this, of this fog of anxiety and this fog of uncertainty in our life. And the Apostle Paul wants to pull this back. Is I'm going to give you some ways that you can be calm. I'm going to give you some ways that you can navigate through this. I want to give you some ways that you can not be crippled by this fog because I am much bigger than the fog. Jesus is saying, trust me. Won't we like that? Don't we need that? Don't we need to fret less and have more faith? Don't we want to minimize our anxiety and Grapple our fears and conquer those fears, and this is a a moment in life and a, a time in life when we are prone to be anxious and we are we are very prone to be fearful. But Jesus says, "I got this. I got this." You see, our anxiety will not be minimized by my intelligence, by my abilities, by me just by me just grappling with it myself. But my fear and my anxiety will be minimized when I cast those things upon Jesus. And when I cast those cares and I cast those anxieties upon Him, He will lift me up. He will sustain me. So if you find yourself in a fog of fear, in a fog of anxiety, in in a fog of worry, in, in a fog of uncertainty. Remember that that is just that cup of water that is spread out and it makes it look so big and so unbearable and so crippling at times. But God says, I got this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust you Father, we just want to be honest. We are anxious, and we are fearful. And some days we're good, and sometimes during the day we're good. But God, if we are honest with ourselves, these are anxious times, and these are fearful times. And so, Father, we first come to you just to acknowledge that we are just feeling some anxiety. But God, your word challenges us not only to recognize it, but what do we do with that? And so, Father, over these next few weeks, as we look at how to be calm, how to bring some calmness to our anxiety, would you just speak to us through your word? But, God, for right now, as we sit in this place where just this fog of uncertainty and this this fog of fear surrounds us, that we trust you, that we find our hope and our security in you, that we don't have to worry about the stuff of life because we can trust you. We thank you, Father, for your goodness, your mercy, and your watch care over us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.